No, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Here's what I think. I think that, we, and I'm, I'm putting this up for a vote. I think we get rid of all the pews and we put recliners in here. And we have like, like, yeah, this is the most Pentecostal you've been in a while, man. Uh, we put recliners in here and, and we get like, like homemade Afghans and blankets, you know, and we move all the coffee in here and yeah, that's, that's, I'm going to go ahead and call a special call business meeting into order and we're going to go ahead and vote this in if that's okay with everybody. Oh my goodness. So, so many, so many of my friends are, are traveling today and, and not feeling well. And I empathize with that because man, I was down with the flu uh, not long ago, so uh, thanks for tuning in if you're, if you're not with us and those of you that are here. Um, man, it just started raining hard outside, and so I'm really glad that we're in here, and it's going to magically stop when we go to our cars, and then when we go into our houses later and our places, and we take our nap, it's going to start again. So that's, that's how that's going to work. Hey, I want to I let you know about a couple of things. Um, obviously, we got our invite cards. Uh, Bo mentioned earlier, we've got the Christmas, the kids' Christmas play happening this coming Wednesday. And then next Sunday for our uh, worship service, we're going to be sharing communion and candlelight and Christmas Eve, and it's a whole family affair thing. So all the kids are going to be in here. It's going to be fun. The kids are going to be singing a couple songs too. But um, go ahead and invite people for Christmas Eve. Uh, a lot of folks are really opening to actually attending church and being a part of a church expression of worship around Christmas. So go and invite folks that you know don't really have a home church, and let's worship together. Uh, another thing I want to let you know about, and I think we're going to throw a little uh, thing up there. Yeah, cool. Um, we're, we're redoing our midweek uh, ministries starting in 2024. Still going to meet at the same time at 630 but we're going to have a different emphasis on this. We're going to be focusing especially for families that want to do discipleship together. So what we're, what we're hoping to do is create the sacred space where families, moms, dads, kids, grandparents, are empowered to take the helm of spiritual leadership in their family and cultivate a legacy of faith that lasts a lifetime. And so I know some folks can make some Wednesdays but not other Wednesdays. We're wanting to create it so that families can participate in discipleship together. As a dad, I don't, I don't know about other dads or, 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 you know, or parents, but um, I could use some help in learning how to disciple my family. And so that's the focus of our Wednesday nights. It's, we don't exist merely to like babysit kids for them to be dropped off and for parents to leave. We're, 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 we're really cultivating this experience on Wednesday nights around the family, so much so that our youth are going to be leading worship on Wednesday nights, and we're going to be get, getting together and worshiping, and the youth are going to be leading us because we believe in, the, believe in empowering and equipping the next generation, Right? Okay, and yeah, we believe in empowering that, you know what, we're going to lose the next generation if we don't empower the next generation. So we're, we're, we're going to worship and they're going to lead us on Wednesday nights and we're going to have this uh, vibrant time of different, um, different opportunities for families to do things together. Um, Pastor Jackie and Misty, they're, 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 they're doing some Tough mutter competitions and some Bible quiz kind of stuff and just these different interactive programs around missions. And we're still going to have our Bible study for adults. Let's say you don't have kids anywhere in your family that, that come to church here. There's still a place for you. But um, you know what? You're also around the kids of God. So we're going we're gonna to be doing that uh, starting in 24, 24. I'm really looking forward to it. 
So we're in this series called um, Light Up the Dark. And it's, it's apropos that it feels a little bit dark. That outside it's a little bit darker today than it has been. It's very apropos that um, we see the dark around us. Not just fi- like, like literally, but, but you know, figuratively. We feel the darkness. We feel sometimes that the light is not as powerful as we wish it were. The virgin birth of Jesus gives us a singular focus. And it gives us this focus that says God is with us. He is with us personally. And he is with us participating in this life with us. Christ coming to earth as a baby. Coming into this creation. This is very hopeful. That's why we celebrate Advent and we light candles. Because these candles represent the light of Jesus coming to this earth. Where there was chaos and nothingness. And in John chapter 1 starts out in the beginning was the word. What does that mean? Well, the word is something that is spoken. It's not just like the Bible, the word. I believe it means that too. Like God's word was in the beginning. Like he created all things. But it's the very breath and the sound of God. And in the beginning was the word. Jesus was from the beginning. His birth happened And Advent is all about waiting for this Messiah to come. Well, Jesus came, so why do we still celebrate this waiting? Well, because we believe in the second coming of Jesus. We believe that he's coming again to make all things new and all things right. The only example we have of Christ coming to this earth so far is in Bethlehem to a virgin being born a messy, slimy human birth. The next time he comes, it will be in the clouds. And every eye will see him. And it's very appropriate that we celebrate this. And the first week we talked through the first few verses of John chapter 1 about in the beginning was the word spoken. Christ is with us. And the second week we, we have this everlasting peace because the truth of Jesus is imprinted on every human heart. And try as it might, the darkness will not overcome the light. That gives us peace. Last week we talked about what happens when our dull lives are interrupted by the good news of Jesus. And today, the last Sunday we have before Christmas Eve, we're going to take these next few verses, 10, 11, 12, and 13. We're going to talk about the love of God and how the love of God lights up the dark. So starting in verse 10, the scripture reads this way, if you have your Bible. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. It's our Advent reading that we read earlier from the Nash family. But to all who received them, who believed in his name, he gave what? Okay, that was not very powerful. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave them what? To become children of God. Becoming children of God means you are given power. Sit with that for a minute and think about it. As a child of God, you were given power. Who were born. You were born. Not, this power is not born of, of, of blood or the will or the flesh or the will of men, but of God. And there's this very big truth that comes from these few scriptures. And on the surface, it's kind of like a duh 
Of course, that's what it, that, that, that's true. But in, in, in how we live out our lives, it's something that we need to be often reminded of. And it's, it's this truth. God doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. God, will you just say that with me? God doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. We are not the main characters of the story. However, we feel like we're the main characters of the story all the time. You just go on our social or you go into how we live our lives and everything tends to revolve around what I'm doing, how I'm feeling. Jesus is the main character, not us. And here's the other like crazy, crazy thought around this. The fact that God exists not for us, but we exist for God. This just drives home the love of Jesus even more because Jesus doesn't need us. He's not any more powerful or any more Lord or any more God, whether we are a part of it or not. He became human and he came to us without needing us. Let me say it a different way. <clears throat> All right, I'll turn my mic off and not on. Um, a lot of times when it comes to love, we, we get our definition and we get our understanding by, you know, those old movies where it says, I'm, com- I'm complete with you, you complete me, or I need you, or you need me, and you're the yin to my yang, or you're the, the dapple to my apple, whatever, you know. There's, there's this, you know, you, it's me and you, babe, against the world. And, and we, we think of love as like this thing where we complete each other or we complement each other. And certainly in, 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 in my marriage relationship, we have that. You know, I'm, I'm the decisive one, the hard-headed one, the, the one that can, that can just, you know, make things happen. Shauna's the one everybody loves, you know? She, she, she's the one everybody likes. And yeah, yeah, you too. It's like, yeah, everybody likes her me. And no, but but while, while that's kind of endearing and affectionate, think about love that exists without a need for completion. Think about a love that exists because there's just an affection there. I've seen this recently with caregivers and families. So a friend of our church here, Erica, passed away this week, and I spent some time talking to her dad. And he talked, oh, there you are. And he's, he, he's talking to me about how he just did things for her that he never saw himself doing. If you've ever cared for somebody who passed, you understand this kind of love where, like, that, you, you don't need that person in order to exist. But man, they might need you. There's a picture of God's love in those moments where there's a love that exists that doesn't really get anything that's needed out of it, but it it seems so needed. Jesus not fretting about whether or not he is worthy. Jesus not anxious about whether or not he is God. Choosing to be among us. 
See, Jesus exists whether we do or not, whether we believe in him or not. The Bible says, if, if, you, if, if you follow the Bible, the Bible says he was from the beginning. He was the very word of creation speak. And God doesn't carry anxiety, only love. God is not anxious about what's going to happen this afternoon or tomorrow or the next day. He is with us. Pure love is an unanxious love. It's a love that gives power to us to become the sons and daughters of God. It's a love that says we were born of God. What does this mean to become the children of God, to be born of God? Well, when you're, when you're someone's child, you have their DNA. You have their mannerisms. I was, there's a golf tournament that happens uh, around this time of year, and there's these professional golfers that play with, with, their, with their children in this, in this golf tournament. And there's always these pictures about with these moms or dads, these professional golfers standing with their kids, and they always kind of had the same, like dad's standing here like this, and the son's standing here like this. Or I saw a picture of Annika Sorenstam with her, with her son, and she's standing like this. And right beside her, he's standing like this. Like you, all, you always look like your parents. God help my kids, you know. You always, you always have this thing of, and, and when you're born of God, what does this mean? That means you have the undeserved favor of God. And you may be like, well, I don't feel like I have this much favor. I don't feel like I have that DNA. Well, take heart. The very love of God, the very DNA of God, the very blood of Christ, the very essence of the divine beats in your chest. Scripture tells us we are image bearers of the Most High God. And you know what? This is all about grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is when you don't get something that that you deserve. Mercy is like when, when, when you do something bad and mercy is shown and you don't have to pay the consequence for it. Grace, however, is when you receive something that you could in no way earn or get. And some of us have been in church for a long time and we're already thinking, oh, okay, here goes that preacher again going down the all grace trail and, you know, you got to have grace and truth and all this stuff. I love what Dallas Willard says about grace. He says this, he says, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Did you know that grace actually takes work? It takes work on the receiving end. It certainly takes work on the giving end. But grace is not this product of what we earn. God isn't trying in saying these words and in giving us Christ. He's not trying to convince you that you have to do something better to be his kid. God's not trying to tell you that you're not good enough if you don't do these things. He's not sitting across the table from you giving advice because you can't figure it out on your own. It's not about earning. He's not using guilt and shame as a motivator. God is giving you power to become. He's giving you power to become. 
And you may, you may look at your life and you may say, think things like, well, I'm too short-tempered, I'm too fat, I'm too this, I'm too that. I, I did not mean for that to rhyme, good grief. I'm, <laughs> I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough. I've got this to do, I've got that to do. And God gives you power. And here's what the power does. The power to become God's children means that all of these things that you see wrong with you, all of these things that you can't just become on your own, he puts you in standing. He puts you in the place of honor. He puts you right standing with God because of his perfection, because of his grace. He is not going to change or be any different to you based on what you know or don't know or have done or maybe will do. God is not going to change one bit based off of your actions. And that can be annoying because this isn't how we live our lives. God's love for you is not going to change if you just stiff arm him and walk away. He's still going to love you. God giving you power to become his children isn't going to just be wiped away because you got an attitude that day. And this is annoying because this is not how we live with each other. We don't live with this concept of grace very well as human beings. We live with the concept of earning. Well, if you do this, then I'll do this. There's this video that I use with uh, marriage counseling or premarital counseling. It's called It's Not About the Nail. And it's such a good picture of what it's, what, how annoying real love, unmerited favor can be. And I, I want you to watch this video and, and try not to get too annoyed with it. But see what you take away from it. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop nails, trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just... Don't... Try to see things my who can relate to that? Anybody? <laughs> How annoying is that? I wish, I wish that the world could just come to grips that we husbands have it all figured out. 
Those of you who are clapping are morons. <laughs> How annoying. It's a very common, common story, very common tension with couples, with marriages, with relationships. There's always one person who thinks, I can fix things. They're, they're always feeling compelled, like responsible. And you know what, man? Yes, I get it. I get it. Here's the question. How do you love someone who has a nail in the front of their head without taking the nail out of the front of their head? It's ridiculous. Can I tell you something? I, th- I see God and me on a couch talking. <laughs> and I've got this nail in the middle of my head. And I'm telling them about how everything is going wrong. And you know what God is not doing that I wish God would do? I wish God would take the nail out of my head. But God just sits there loving, empathizing. Must be difficult. It's like, well, I, but, but God can heal. God can, yes, yes, and he does. But can I tell you something? Love has more to do Catch this. Love has more to do with the interaction and the actual care for another person than it does with fixing all their problems. Love has, and some of you wives, I just saw you glare at your husbands really quick. Stop it. Let me do the glaring, okay? You just... Love has more to do with the understanding of pain. That's love. Instead of being mad at Jesus because he's not taking out the nail, I often get mad at him because he's not doing what I want him to do. And the problem is this, we all too often mistake problem solving with love. Because we're an earning kind of people. If I can do the right things, then I'll just be good enough. Take the nail metaphor further, the family member, that friend with cancer, the suffering person. As a pastor, I am faced with all the time situations of suffering that can make me very uncomfortable. Because I, I try, I, like I go in and I pray with families and I, I see people in some of, sometimes it's the worst moments of their life. And all I want to do is remove the nail, take away the pain, help in any way I can. But I have to be reminded, and I have to remind other folks, the only thing I can bring with me is the awareness and the understanding of the love of Jesus and that he is the one who makes all things new. That his power brings healing and love and he makes beautiful things out of crazy, ugly things. But I always want to make people feel better. What? Is that a very noble thing that I want to do? Well, of course. I mean, making things better, you should, you should want to make things better. That's what needs to happen. You know what? That's right. If I can make things better, I'll be a hero. And you'll see how much I really love you if I can get your appreciation. You'll see how much I'm worth loving in response to helping you 
make everything okay. You'll see that I'm worth it, your affection and your love. But this is the problem we have with loving each other, gang, and with loving Jesus. Because in receiving Jesus' love, we take a step out of the main character role. Real love has nothing to do with earning. Real love has nothing to do with performance, merit. And it can make more sense when we read scripture this way and we look at it and we see that Jesus came into this world and people didn't know him. They didn't see him as love. They didn't see him as the main character. Why? Because they saw themselves as the main character. Jesus came to us, his own people, and we didn't accept him, Scripture says. Oh, they were just talking about the Jews of the day, were they? Look around. How often are we tempting and asserting ourselves to be the main character? But there were some who did believe in him. And what happened with them? He gave them what? Power. To become the children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of man, the Bible says, but by God. And this is the light of God's love that all his children have this power. This power that says this God is not insecure. This God is never leaving us. This God, his love is always there. Even when we don't see the sun as bright one day from the next. That doesn't remove the love of God. Because the creation power, the spoken word become flesh is with us. We don't earn this love. It's all grace. We don't deserve it. But man, it takes hard work to receive grace. It takes effort. But remember, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And this is the light of his love. The first thing is this. God's love, God's light is always on. It's never off. It's always bright. It's never dull. It never runs out. God's love is this unquenchable flame. Other parts of the Bible uh, describe the love of God like, like a well that doesn't have a bottom to it a spring that's ever flowing from the ground. Think about it this way. God's like Waffle House. I mean it. FEMA actually cites Waffle House on the government website. Look at this. I got a screenshot of it. It's a little piece of normal. This is the FEMA website. Over the years, there have been several news articles to come out about a little something called the Waffle House Index. It's pretty ingenious. It relies on the open or closed status of the well-known diner chain in disaster-affected areas. Here's what they're saying. If the Waffle House is still in business, then that's, that area is, um, there's, there's people still there. FEMA. This is your tax dollars at work. Waffle House. God is like covered, smothered, chunked, diced, and, and, and all that. Topped. God is like an omelet. God is like bad coffee at 3 a.m. God is like the Waffle House. He doesn't prove his love 
by turning the light on and off. He doesn't prove his love by answering some prayers and not answering other prayers. God always is. He proved his love from the beginning. He proves his love in the present. And he proves his love in the future. But too many Christians are trying to treat God like he's some kind of celestial sugar daddy. He's alpha. He does whatever I want. He's miracles. He's going to give me my miracle, my miracle, my thing, my this, my this, my that. He is alpha and omega. He is the beginning and the end. But he's not my genie in a lamp. Look at what Paul says about, about, about God's love. Do you think anyone, he's saying this to the Roman church, do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? Now that very question alone lets you know that there's going to be attempts to, draw, to, to drive a wedge between you and the love of Jesus. It's going to exist. It's going to be there. Paul says there's no way. Not trouble. Anybody had trouble recently? Not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing. Anybody got some holes in your back? Not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. Think about that. Not even the worst. What are the worst sins listed in Scripture? I've got some ideas but not even the worst sins in Scripture can drive a wedge and hinder God's love for you. Paul says this to the church, they kill us in cold blood because they hate us. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. What is it like to be so sure in God's love for you that you are not phased by death threats? That you are not phased by the thundering rain of life? What is it like to be so sure and so secure in God's love for you that nothing, nothing would make you doubt it? Paul says this, I'm convinced that absolutely nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love. Because that's the way Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Some of y'all need to take this passage out of Romans 8 and blow it up and put it in front of you every day and be reminded that nothing, living or dead, high or low, living or dead, high or low, nothing, nothing is more powerful than his love. And in John 1, Christ is being introduced, this Jesus, who has been from the beginning. It's what we've been waiting for. His love is always from the beginning. It will continue long after we see what happens next. And it never ends. It's always good. God's light from the beginning. His love gives you power when you believe. God's light is always on and God's light, God's love is always good. See, there are inexplicable things that happen in this life. And I can't even try to explain them. There are in, indescribable atrocities. Sicknesses and death and killing and terror. And I can't attempt to even begin to explain why all of these things happen. 
But I take comfort in what Paul says in one of the most misused verses of the Bible. We know that all things work together for good for those that love God. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now I say misused. Why? Because I've heard this verse used as though, well, God just created that bad thing so he could do this good thing. No, God isn't creating bad things. God, God is not creating wars across our, our, our planet. God is not creating terrorism. God is not creating... No, what God is doing is he is intervening in the evil. What God is doing is, is, is actually quite remarkable. He's taking things that are meant for death and dying and destruction, and he's growing flowers in that garden. He's taking things like death, and he's bringing resurrection. Here's a good translation of this verse. God brings purpose from your pain. It's not, it's not without its purpose. It's not arbitrary. And, and God is not some bully on an anthill with a magnifying glass singling you out to cause you pain. God promises. The promise of this verse is that there is, he will bring purpose from that pain. Even in that death of that loved one that you're crying about, and, and you're, it is still terrible. But you're going to see some springs come forth out of the ground. You're going to see how your heart was changed. You're going to see love where you didn't see love before. You're going to see his promise come true. That good, all things work together for good, that means redemption. That's a promise. And, and I can't stand here with any integrity and, and, and even answer the questions as if, 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 if God is saying good things, why are bad things? I, you know, I, I, that's a cosmic debate. I, my brain can't handle it all. What I can say is that I found comfort and sanity and life and healing and power from the fact that God has shown me time and again how even though there was pain, he brought promise. Even though there was death, there was redemption and resurrection. Even though there was sickness, there was healing. There's a verse in scripture that I've used at many, many funerals, and I'll use, them, use it as I go forward. It says that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And I always ask the question, how could death be precious? Well, when I've seen someone's body be rattled with the disease like cancer, and I've seen them not suffer anymore, I can understand it better. You know what? That redemption of God may not, have, may not look like anything I ever dreamed of in the first place. But his light, his love from the beginning gives me power when I believe that his love came into this world and we did not know it. But when we receive him, power. Not a domineering or a lording over each other kind of power but power to not be the main character anymore. Power to be in submission to him. Power to not have to know everything. Power that I can go through this life knowing that he is God and I am not. That I can look more like him than I did.
And God is way too powerful, wise, and magnificent, and good to have his power to be used like a puppet by us. His love is not swayed by our ability or our inability to earn it. His love is not threatened by the problems and the nails in the head that we have. He's always with us. He's always good. Supreme creator, sustainer, Lord of all. And he's to be born in Bethlehem. And he's coming. He's coming back. And he'll always be with us. I want to pray with you before we, before we close. I want to pray with you because I know that for a lot of us, Christmas represents great pain. A big memory that we'll always have. I want to pray with you because I know that the light of God's love holds more power than that memory. As we hear the rain falling, I want to remind you who created the rain. I want to remind you what happens when a seed goes into the ground and dies. I want to remind you what happens when things are broken and they're made new again. And it's not some kind of uh, place of awareness or revelation or uh, aha moment that, that I want to pray over you so much as it is. An experience. A way to see God and to hear God as who he really is. We don't earn his grace. But man, it takes work. Sometimes that grace is getting up the next day and doing the thing that we do because his love is compelling us to not give up. And sometimes it looks like crying more tears because that's how much love we had. So would you stand with me while I pray over you and we sing this chorus again? In the name of Jesus, God's Son, I pray that his love and his glory Pray that you can feel it right now. I pray that God's Holy Spirit would remind you again that He is good. That nothing you do can earn His goodness and His love. And nothing you do can deny it. You can walk away from it anytime you want, but it's not going to change his love for you. And all across this room, I see faces and I see people who I know are walking and have walked through hell here on this earth. 
And I want you to know that the church of Jesus is this place where you are loved and you are prayed for and you are cared for. We can't fix all the problems, but we can be with you. We can hold you. And we can point to a Jesus who makes all things new. And for some of us, we've, got, we've been really angry with God. And I just want to present his love to you again. All across this place with heads bowed and eyes closed. Say, Nate, you know what? I'm not okay. And man, I, I need, I need to be reminded daily. I need God's Holy Spirit to be with me. I need to know that he's with me. You know what? I'm not okay. Man, I need this love of Jesus. I need it to be real. Just really quick, heads bowed. If that's you, just really quick, make eye contact with me. I want to pray for you. Yep. I know. Yep. 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 Who else? Jesus makes all things new and he can even take this um, this cynicism that we often have these scabs that have formed there as calluses on our hearts he can soften them up and he can bring tears where there's just been nothing but, but dry desert places And he can also um, hold us when we cry more tears that we didn't know that we still had. This is the power that God gives us, gang. This is the power that he gives us. It's the power to be human and to be loved by him. And to share his love. So I pray you receive the love of this Jesus. Let you walk in his truth. And God, we thank you. We thank you that you make all things new. And the rain is proof. The sun will shine again.